Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day to all the dads, granddads, uncles here. Great to have you with us on uh, Father's Day. Now, I want to begin today by letting you know uh, a quick story. A couple weeks ago, there was uh, a loss in the running world. Now, you might say, well, I'm not really a runner. Well, I want you to track with me on this particular story because there was a man by the name of Rick Hoyt who passed away from respiratory complications, and Rick Hoyt was 61 years of age. Now, candidly, I don't really expect many of you to know who Rick is. You're probably not going to be familiar with Rick's work in the running community. You see, Rick didn't have his own running shoe. He never won the Boston Marathon. In fact, Rick is not actually known for winning races. You see, Rick was born with cerebral palsy, and that made him a quadriplegic. And yet in 1977, when he was just a teenager, Rick told his father that he wanted to participate in a benefit road race. He said, Dad, I want to do that. And that's where their journey began. For the next 40 years, Rick and his father competed in more than 1,000 races. You might say, well, how does that happen? Well, I think you can put the pieces together. He did so with Rick's father pushing him in his wheelchair. Rick's dad, a guy by the name of Dick Hoyt, pushed his son in more than 1,000 races, including 32 Boston marathons. But the story gets better. Rick wanted to compete in a triathlon. <laughs> so Rick's dad pulled him in a boat so they could compete in triathlons. Pretty amazing story. Now, Dick passed away a few years ago, and uh, as I said, Rick passed away a couple of weeks ago. But before his dad's death, he told an interviewer this. He says, I have a beautiful son, and it is an activity that we can do together despite his disability. It's been an incredible journey. This is the best part. He says, I'm not a hero I'm just a father. Such an inspiring story because what it displays to you and to me are the deep, consistent realities of a sacrificial, loving, earthly father. It's a fantastic picture of that. And as we gather together today right here on Father's Day, we're going to be turning to an Old Testament book. And what we're going to find is that those are also true in greater degree, of course, to our Heavenly Father. Because He is the one who gives us deep, consistent, sacrificial love. We're going to turn to that passage in just a moment. But before we do, let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, it is our privilege to call you that. We are humbled that we get to call upon you because of your Son. Because of what your Son Jesus did for each and every one of us upon the cross. For it is because of Christ that we have become a family and we get to call you Father. 
For many of us here, God, our Father, our earthly Father provided us many things, provided for our needs as a family, invested time in us, taught us the importance of faithfulness. For these men, God, we give you thanks. But God, we also see that when we turn to your word, your word is filled with important and significant men who play a great and powerful role in our lives and throughout human history, whether they are fathers or grandfathers or uncles or brothers or mentors or friends. For these men, God, who you have given us in your word, but also you've given us in our own lives, God, we thank you for their impact. We thank you for their love and sacrifice. And now, God, as we turn to your word, we recognize that your word has what we need for our faith journey today, a picture of you and of your love. So, God, give us eyes to see the truth of your word today. God, we ask for ears to hear this truth and then humble, genuine hearts before you that we might know and we might receive this truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church family, as we begin our journey today to dig in more deeply into the love of God, I want you to grab your Bible. We're going to be looking at Psalm 103. Psalm 103, if you were looking along in our church Bibles, those ESV Bibles that are underneath our chairs, you're going to find that on page 502. We're looking at Psalm 103. We're going to pick up uh, David's writing at verse 6. So, Psalm 103, verse 6. He says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. For the Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger, and he is abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. For he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us for our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. What we just read there is a psalm of praise. It is a psalm of praise where the author is writing to remind himself and to all who read this text the reason that God is, in fact, due our praise. Now, for a reference, when you turn to the Psalter, there are many different kinds of psalms. Some psalms are lament psalms. Others are psalms of thanksgiving. Others are psalms of wisdom. But this one right here is a psalm of praise. 
Because what David is seeking for us to do as we read this is to make a declaration of our gratitude. That's what he is doing, and that's what he is writing this kind of public dialogue that all would read. And you'd say, well, how do I know that? Well, we started in verse 6. I want to take you back to verse 1. Here's what he says. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. That is the trajectory of how he begins this particular psalm. It serves as a reminder to himself and all to praise our God. But I want us to pay special attention to verse 2. Verse 2, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. Now, candidly, it is not often where I stand on this stage and stand before you and tell you or even encourage you to focus on what you get from God. That is not how we roll. You see, when we come here, when God's people gather from around this region, we have people in Clarkston and Commerce and Highland and Holly, Waterford, White Lake, we all get together. And what we do when we walk in these doors is we bring an offering of praise to our God. We sing songs that lift him up and speak of his truth. We respond with responsive readings, whether it's a catechism or something else that proclaims the reality of our God. We pray and we do the same things. All of those things are an offering of praise. And I hope that is the heart posture with which you walked in here today, that I'm I'm here to praise God. And yet today, when we open the Scriptures, it's a little bit different. Not that you put that aside, but I do want us to have a little bit of a different emphasis because of what the text says. You see, the text calls us to see and to experience the benefits of what we have in a relationship with God. What we have is the benefits because that is what David is writing to remind himself in Psalm 103. So let's take a little bit of a deeper dive. We're going to look at just the first few verses in the text we read, specifically verses 6 through 10. That's where we're going to begin to see the benefits that believers receive from our Heavenly Father. Look at verse 6. It says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. For the Lord is merciful and gracious. The Lord is slow to anger and the Lord is abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. For he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Right there in that passage, in that collection of verses, this shows us the first of three benefits of those who know God as our Father. We are the beneficiaries of God's mercy. Believers are the beneficiaries of God's great mercy. What David has done for us in those few verses is highlight a very 
specific set of things. So I want to take a few moments and parse those out for us. Have us be reminded as David is reminding us of the reality of our God. Verse 6, it says, he is righteous and he is just. I want everybody to say that with me. He is righteous and he is just. All right, that gets us off on a good start. Verse 7, he is knowable. Verse 8 says he is merciful, he is gracious, he is slow to anger, and he is abounding in love. That's quite a list already. Then we get to verse 9, and what we find out, what he is not, okay? He will not stay angry. He's not going to stay there. And he will not repay our evil with evil. It's not who he is. Church, these are amazing truths of God's character. They are his attributes. And what, this is what David wants to proclaim. This is why he would say we should praise God because those are God's attributes. These are things that you and I should, in fact, be meditating upon, considering, and causing us to praise Now, here's a fact. What we just looked at are theological facts. That list we just went through are theological truths about our God. Now, there are some among us today who would say, you know what, Pastor? I'm just here for the church. I'm just here for the music. Don't bother me with all that theological stuff. Okay? Well, the psalmist would take a little bit of a different approach. In fact, the theological truths are actually what caused David to praise God. That's why he's capturing them. That's why he's making a list. David is praising God because he is righteous and just. And yet he chooses to be merciful and gracious. That's why David says that is a God who is praiseworthy. Okay, But why all the fuss over the theological stuff? Why all the praise? Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, David wants people to know the depth of God's mercy towards those he loves. He wants us to know that. He wants us to grab a hold of that. That is why it is so important that everyone here knows God as your Father. Listen to the words of John in chapter 1 of his gospel. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, the application here is really straightforward. To know God's mercy, to know his grace, to know his forgiveness is to know God through faith in his son. Here's what that looks like. I'm walking and I'm living in sin and I acknowledge I'm a mess. So I turn from that mess 
That's called repentance. When I acknowledge my mess before God and I turn, and I'm not just turning away from my sin, but I'm turning and I'm running and I'm pursuing God and I embrace Jesus by faith. This is how we receive the mercy and the grace of our God. Do you know God as your merciful Father? It is my hope and my prayer that you do. Now, let's continue our look at Psalm 103. I'd like us to look at two specific verses, verse 8 and verse 11. Once again, David writes, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Church, this helps us see the second benefit of those who know God as our Father. We are the focus of his love. We are the focus of God's steadfast love. Love. Now, I'm going to guess there's not one person in here today who would say the steadfast love of God, not interested, don't want to be loved. That's ridiculous. Don't need that in my life. Fact of the matter is, we all long and yearn to be loved. And what this text helps us see is that God does love us in a steadfast way. But in our culture, we go, wait a second. I don't use that term. What does steadfast mean? Whatever it means, I think I want it. But what does it actually mean? Well, the term steadfast means unwavering. Never waning, never fading. The love of God towards his people is solid and it is strong. It's never waning. Now, I don't need to remind you today of how countercultural that actually is. Because every single person here has been hurt by someone in our lives because their love wavered. Their love faded over time. Their love was anything but strong and solid. And David has made a strong contrast for us today that if that is your experience in the world, what you have in a relationship with God is completely different. He wants us to see the distinction between the love that we give and receive in our world and the faithful and consistent and long-standing love of our God. Church, God's love is unwavering. It is my hope that you would rest in that love today. Now, before we move on, there's another dimension to God's love that we haven't even considered yet from that verse, from verse 11. Something we should not be skipping past, brushing over, blowing by. It is the powerful imagery that God uses to speak of the height and the depth of his love. 
He says it is as high as the heavens are above the earth. The imagery here is for you and I to think of God's love as something that is beyond our comprehension, beyond what we can even imagine. That's what David wants you and I to grab a hold of. I want to give you an assignment tonight. At the end of the day, when the sun has set, after you've grilled and done all the cool things for dad, what I want you to do is I want you to go out into the night sky and I want you to stare up at it. I want you to imagine what David is saying here. God's love for you is as high as the heavens are above the earth. Reflect upon that tonight because it is really hard to do when you look up at that expanse and you see that that is so high, the depths of it is so significant. And that's the amazing love that God has for you, for those who fear him, for those who are in awe of him, for those who revere him. Author Jerry Bridges describes it this way. He says, God's love for us cannot be measured. It is not only perfect in its effect, it is also infinite in its extent. Infinite in its extent. Bridges then adds these words. He says, no calamity that may come upon us, however great it might be, no matter what it is going on in your life and how terrible it might seem, nothing can carry us beyond the pale of God's fatherly love. Nothing. Church, that's the depth of God's love. It is beyond our comprehension And that's why this is a worship psalm. Because this should cause us to praise our heavenly Father. Now, church family, let's look at the final portion of our text today. We're going to look at verses 13 and 14. Here's what he writes. It says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows your frame, and he remembers that we are dust. You see, in the psalm of praise, David has already helped us see that as God is our Father, we are the beneficiaries of his mercy. We are then the focus of his love. Here in verses 13 and 14, he brings kind of a different framework for us to grab a hold of. He kind of highlights some different attributes. He puts it into a family context. You might say, well, why does he do that? Because we can all understand the comparison. We can all grab a hold of that familial type language. Now, it's dangerous to do that, though. Because I would be in air today to stand before you and assume that every one of us had an earthly father who was a model of mercy and love and the other attributes of God. That would be very dangerous for me to do. Fact is, some of us did have those kinds of fathers that led us in the ways of Christ. Others of us did not have that kind of dad. In fact, we had the opposite. 
The reason I highlight this today and I want us to pick up the fact that there is familial language here is because that is the way that it should be. That is the way that it should be. Ideally, fathers should recognize our weaknesses. We should humbly repent, and when we've sinned against those we love, we should repent and seek forgiveness. And then she would freely offer grace and compassion to our family members. Yet many times dads fail to do this. As a dad, I stand before you as one who has failed. And yet, I know I need these things. I know I need these things for my family. I know I need these things in my own life as a dad. And that's why the third benefit of those who know God as their father is so critical for every single person here today. We are the recipients of God's compassion. God's children are the recipients of his compassion. Now, dads, I want to take just a moment and talk to you very specifically. All right, dads, you with me? All right, that's Gary. Who else is with me? All right, come on. Dads, you with me? All right. Is there any among us who does not love it when our child comes to us and says, Dad, I need some help. Can you help me? We love that, don't we? It doesn't matter if our child is two years old or if our child is 20 years old. We love to give compassionately for and to our children. The fact of the matter is that comes, that heart comes from the compassion that we have experienced from our Heavenly Father. That's where it comes from. He is our standard and He is our model. There's one more thing for us to look at before we close our Bibles today. That strange phrase that David uses in verse 14. It says, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. What does that mean and what does that have to do with us? Well, simply this, God knows us. God knows us. He knows where we came from, and he knows, in fact, where we are going. He knows that we are hurting. He knows that we are needy. He knows that we are a desperate people in need of everything that he has to offer us. Mercy and love and compassion, all of it. We need it, and he knows that. And when we approach our heavenly Father with reverence and awe for who he is, for what he's done for us in Christ, and that is when he shows it to his kids. You see, the good news for the believers, for all believers who are here today, the good news is this. We have a powerful, perfect, merciful, gracious, loving, compassionate Father who desires to bless his children. You might say, well, what's the blessing? <laughs> More of him. 
more of our God, more of himself. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I, I will give you rest. So when you're tired or you're worn out, when you're troubled or you're burdened, when you are overworked and you are overwhelmed, God invites you to come for more of him. Now, church, as we close our time on Father's Day, I want to charge all the dads here this morning, but it is a little bit of a different charge than what you might think. You see, there's a common joke among pastors that the way we handle Mother's Day in the church is very, very different than the way we handle Father's Day at church. Here's what I mean. We all love our moms, right? They're sweet and they're kind and they deserve to be honored on Mother's Day. In fact, it's a maybe a little-known fact for those outside of kind of vocational ministry, that we have Christmas and Easter, the two big attendance days of the year. Number three, Mother's Day. Everybody wants to make their mom happy by going to church because mom wants all the kids in church, right? We love our moms. We want to honor our moms. And to be clear, that is good and right, and the church should, in fact, do that. But when it comes to dads, the message is often a little bit different. Here's what I mean. We'll give you a little pat on the back, but it's usually followed by a kick in the backside. Do better. Come on, dad, try harder. That is the typical messaging that we often hear on Father's Day. Well, today, I want to change that narrative a little bit. I want to charge dads with something different. Because God shows us how a father cares for his children. That is our God And so I want every dad here to be encouraged with this. I want you to truly believe that your heavenly father loves you. That might seem incredibly basic, but for some of us guys, we have a hard time receiving that, don't we? Your heavenly father loves you. I want you to truly believe that God, your father, wants to give you his mercy. He wants you to experience his mercy. And I want you to truly believe that your heavenly father has compassion for you. So that's the encouragement. Dads, I want to follow that encouragement, that pat on the back. Here it comes with an exhortation. Actually, two of them. The first one is this. I want you to receive the gifts that I just talked about. I want you as a dad to humble yourself and receive the gifts that you have in a relationship with your heavenly Father. Receive them. And the second one is simple. It's similar. The compassion that you have received from your heavenly Father, I want you to freely offer it to those who call you dad. Give it away. May they experience God's compassion through their heavenly Father today. 
Now, White Lake family, as we reflect upon all that God offers his children today, both fathers and mothers and children included in there as well, all that God offers his people today from Psalm 103, I want us to be reminded of why it is that David wrote what he did, to remind himself of God's character and of God's attributes, and to offer to God our praise. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.